0: I uh, I was saying this in the first service that I'm, uh, I'm I'm actually a very emotional person. I'm not necessarily the most emotionally expressive person, but internally, lots of stuff going on. And when we have these, I don't know about you guys, it seems like many of you are here, you have these really full weeks, a lot to do, a lot to get done relationships and people and friends and family, things to think about, and I can feel really up and down. And I've been in a really up and down place myself, internally especially. Um, I would say uh, even yesterday morning, the best way I could describe waking up, fortunately this doesn't happen all the time, but the best way I could describe waking up was in with anxious anger. Um, I felt like I got punched out of bed, to put it that way. And I felt like there's a lot to do, and I was also extremely feeling a lot of hurt from a conversation I'd had with a significant person in my life. And I was very frustrated by it, and I was hurt by it, and I had a lot to do. I wasn't done with this sermon, for example, and I wanted to get that going more because there was a lot to do with that, and couldn't focus. But the great thing about it was forcing myself to sit in the gospel, which is what we're talking about today, the whole gospel. Uh, is in one sense exactly what I needed. It took me all day to get to a place where uh, I was even more calm internally. But part of that was getting to see, again, this whole gospel, what it is that God has done for us. And the reason why uh, I'll, Rob and I will joke about this, we have different styles, and Rob is in preaching, and he he's like, paints a, like a mosaic, and I'm more linear And part of that isn't because I'm just super linear, it's because I feel chaotically inside and I need to see the structure God puts in our lives, that He turns our chaos into order. As 1 Corinthians 14 says, He is not the God of chaos, but of order. And so that helps me so much, and this is something that orders our lives. Today we're talking about the very thing God says He gives to us that is most of all to order our lives. Everything about us. And so we're talking about the gospel, and we're largely going to do that, as Rob said, through the book of Colossians. For the next three weeks, we're looking at the book of Colossians. And today, uh, we're beginning this series because as we end this school year, we're trying to think about and receive again the fullness and the freedom of the gospel. That as God's people, we join Him on His mission to proclaim the whole gospel, His truth, to the world. We live it because it shapes our whole lives and it leads us out into the whole world where he goes with us wherever we go to do the things he intends to do. So whether we're going into, whether we're working on this now or going into this later, education or journalism or business, technology, politics, educa- um, journalism, and I already said that, engineering, I kind of like lost this list. If you go and live your life somewhere and you do stuff, God will be doing stuff there too. And that's what we're talking about uh, is this gospel life that God has in it. His gospel extends into everything. So let me begin then today by just saying, well, what is the gospel? What is it? If I'm going to summarize it in as short and a pithy statement as I can, I'll say this. At its very simplest, the gospel is the proclamation of God's good news to us. At its very simplest, at its foundation, the word gospel means good news proclaimed. It's an announcement. It's a message. It's declared. And so it's the declaration of God's good news for us. And so what that means is it's a very specific message that God wants to declare to us. And what I'll say from the outset is what he wants to declare to us is Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. If you could summarize the entire Bible in one sense, you might be able to say it like that. Jesus is Lord. And under that comes everything else. So we're going to try to understand that, the the deeper, richer fullness of what that means, that Jesus is Lord in the the gospel, by looking at the first part of Colossians. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 23. And we're going to keep looking at this. We're, We're going to keep coming back to it. So if you have a Bible and you want to open there, please do, or you have it on your phone. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 23, so that we can understand more of this specific message God wants to declare to us. Here's what it says. The Apostle Paul, writing on behalf of Jesus, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it, understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if you indeed continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed. In all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. From this passage, I want to talk about three things the character of the gospel, the foundation of the gospel, and the grace of the gospel. Because throughout it, did you hear how many times he keeps referencing back to Christ? And then he also keeps referencing back to all things. All things, all things, all things, heaven and earth, everything he's referencing is related to Christ. And so what is the character of this gospel? The first thing about it in verse 5, when we first see the word gospel, is it says, the word of the truth, the gospel. And so the first thing about this character, the character of the gospel is it's God's truth received. God's truth received. So in verse 5, it says, heard. You have heard it. And then in verse 6, he says how it's a word, it's a message that has come to you. Then he says, it's come to you and you heard it. he says, heard again. And then he says, you have understood it. And then in verse 7, he says, you learned it. And then in verse 23, he said, the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. So throughout chapter 1, there's this push towards seeing what is the gospel? It's God's truth received. And how do you receive it? What is the reception of it? It's just a message. It's a proclamation of something that is true. And it comes to you. And this is important because the gospel is not first like science. We don't go looking for it to come to find it and to know it. We don't go searching for it and just discover it one day. The gospel declares that God came instead looking for us. It's a message that comes to us not something we go and are able to find on our own. See, in science, you know, we observe things all around us. We form hypotheses. We test these hypotheses. We get a bit closer to understanding how something works. But the gospel message is that not all truth works that way. Let's be clear, a lot of us are doing science or technology or engineering. I am a bio major. From my own undergrad that's my undergraduate degrees in biology and I want to tell you that what I'm saying I'm not saying that you cannot discover truth in science absolutely you can we should you should go do great science go do the best science that you can possibly do because the world needs that we can discover truth through science however just because we can discover truth in science does not mean that science is the only way that truth works and if we only try to define truth by what we can discover in science, it just might be that you and I are limiting ourselves from a vast array of truth that we desperately need, that we cannot discover through testing a hypothesis. That is the kind of truth the gospel is. It is, a, it is truth that has to come to you, not something you discover and work up or see. It is something first that he gives. And so the good thing about that, the good news part of this is, well, it's a message So God wants to speak to us. God wants to say words to us about himself that we would not have discovered on our own and that we would never find apart from him revealing them to us. The thing about it is so much of life can be described uh, by science, but it can't be discovered by science. You're not going to discover God who's supernatural by using natural methods because he's super nature. He's above nature by very definition. And so we've got to receive this message. And the message is that God has observed us and not simply left us there to see what will happen, but has come and entered into our world to make things right again. This is the truth that he wants us to know. He has come to us. In a world where there's a lot of stories of people declaring, you need to hear my truth. Is it possible that we need to hear God's truth also, that he might have a very important version of the story of what's going on? I think it's actually important for each of us to hear each other's truth, but we can only share such limited truth. Our truth is, what is my place in the world and how do I work? How do I function? But there's a greater, grander truth that God is giving that is about how you got here in the first place and why you're here and how that works and why it matters. We need the greater truth. When we hear, and then you, this is what Paul says, you don't just hear it, but you come to understand it and then you learn it. And he says, you do this through, for them, it was Epaphras. He calls him my fellow servant and a faithful minister. This is their pastor. His name's Epaphras. He's from that city and he has been ministering to them. He's the one who's been proclaiming and teaching and walking with them, seeking to work out the implications of the message of God in their lives, day by day, year by year. This is a fairly young church though. And so one of the things that seems to be happening in the book of Colossians that is getting described, especially in chapter 2, is that there's false teachers that are coming into the church, and they are saying, there might be something beyond the gospel. Like, you guys received the simple first thing about God. He told you about himself in the gospel. But guess what? You want to really grow? You want to really be a spiritual person? You got to go beyond that. Sure, that's good, but go further. And so the reason why I'm lingering on this is this is really, really important to the foundation of everything. We're going, to, we're going to get into the foundation of the gospel, but we have to know that its character is something we hear and we receive and we understand it and we learn it. It's, in one sense, that simple. It's, it's like the alphabet. The alphabet is something you never graduate from. You need the alphabet to get to a place where you can graduate from something, but you'll never graduate from the alphabet. I was just thinking about this yesterday as I typed up my notes for this sermon, is that we spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on machines that do incredible things in our lives that we use constantly and every day, like laptops and cell phones. And what is the thing of all the stuff in the universe we could have put on there, what's on there? The alphabet. A bunch of keys that hold the alphabet. And you and I spend much of our life that we don't think about it anymore, One letter at a time. If I want to communicate or purchase something, or I want to write a dissertation, or I want to send emails, one letter at a time. We never get beyond the alphabet. And the gospel is like the alphabet. It's not just the entry point into salvation. Cool, I received the gospel. I'm good to go. Great. No, it's the fundamentals. It's the basis. There is nothing beyond it because the gospel is about Jesus. And he is the foundation of everything, as we're going to see it's like the alphabet. You never get beyond it. You can never get beyond the gospel. It's not just a little door you walk through. It's the path that you get onto. The message stays the same. The truth that we need is always the same and it's always there. But it's possible that sometimes in our Christian experience, even within our own churches or among other believers, that we can start to even sell each other. That there's something more. You've got to go beyond that in order to really have a true spiritual experience. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 8, verse 16, and verse 18. There's three warnings that he gives. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive, let no one pass judgment on you, let no one disqualify you. So what he's saying is, don't let anyone kidnap you, don't let anyone condemn you, don't let anyone disqualify you. And he's not just saying in general. He has specific things he says about each of those. The first one about being taken captive is in your mind. That the teachings that we have and receive around us start to infiltrate it. And we start to say, oh, that's the gospel too. I have that to have the gospel. We've got to have more information. We've got to be more knowledgeable, super spiritual knowledge maybe. Or be the best theologians ever. No, you don't. We do get to grow. But we grow in the gospel in the knowledge of Christ. And in verse 16, when he says, let no one pass judgment on you, he's talking about food or drink or fasting or feast days or new moons or Sabbath. He's talking about our spiritual disciplines. He's saying, nope, spiritual discipline is important. However, you don't get to reach a new level. And if you do certain things in a certain way, you're a more spiritual person and you've grown in God more deeply. Nope, it's still, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in that. Have you received the gospel? You'll grow in your spiritual disciplines, but that's not the point. The point is to have what God gives in the gospel. And then he says, don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on um, asceticism, which is a certain way of looking and worshiping, going on in details about all their visions or having being puffed up with sensuous minds, uh, not holding fast to Christ from whom all growth from God comes. What he's saying there, spiritual experiences, Do we need to have special spiritual experiences? Do we need to have special spiritual gifts? Do we have to operate in a certain way because then we've reached a new place? Then we've really gotten close with God. No. The foundation of everything, the alphabet of the Bible, is the gospel. You will never graduate from it. There may be things that come up in our lives. We may actually get special spiritual experiences or we may grow into a certain spiritual gift. But all of that is simply a small foretaste of what the gospel is really about. God in his glorious nature coming to us and giving us himself. Paul described this in verse 3, 4, and 5 very simply. It's something he says about Christians all the time. He's like, well, how do you know you've received the gospel? And what he describes is, look, we give thanks for you guys because you have what all of us have, faith in Christ, verse 3, or sorry, verse 4, faith in Christ, love for all the saints, which are just other believers, and then in verse 5, hope that is laid up for you in heaven. This is a very common phrase Paul uses, faith, love, and hope. These things he comes back to a lot because it's just his shorthand way of saying people who are Christians. People who've received the gospel. What's in your life? You have faith in Christ. Your ultimate allegiance in the world is to him and him alone. Faith. My trust for the outcome of everything is in him. And love for other people, the love for the saints. I love that he, it was really helpful to me, as I told you earlier, my internal struggles. I think many days I walk through life thinking, does God really love me? I'm one of those people who struggles with that all the time. But what he says is, Not love in yourself because you feel that God loves you, although that's important and it does happen. What he says is, do you want to know that you've received this? Have you seen your your life start to change as you love other people who are believers? And often other believers are people with very different personalities, people you might not have even chosen to be your friends, but now you're stuck together in this church. And it's so good because these different cultures, these different backgrounds, these different personalities, and to actually love one another in that, well, that is a profound thing that doesn't just happen in the world. It's something we've received. and So we're looking for, is my life characterized by that? Because if it is, it's God at work within me. I've received his love, and now it's coming out of me. I'm not just focused on me getting love now. I'm focused on others getting that same love. And then he talks about hope, because it's very true that in the, in, uh, the life of Christ, we have to have hope, because we don't have everything now. Heaven isn't here, not yet it's what's going to be here. We're going to look at that briefly. The restoration that Jesus will bring is to restore the earth from its broken state, to restore us from our broken state so that we are with him again and the earth is all that it was ever intended to be and more. But we got to have hope for that because that isn't happening right here in 2018. Not currently, not yet, not all the way. We see tastes of it. We get glimmers of it, the way that we uh, interact with one another. But hope is a huge part of this. It's a future thing that we have yet to fully see. And so that's another thing that goes even into those warnings. If you think that you're gonna get the fullness of God experiences now, you won't. And you'll be deeply disappointed and possibly disillusioned or even lose faith in Christ because you think, why isn't God giving me everything great right now? Well, because hope... Heaven is coming, but it's not fully here, so we can't expect our life to look like heaven because Jesus, you'll know. Jesus will show up is what the gospels tell us, what the story tells Jesus will show up. You will know. Heaven has come. You will have zero doubt about it. So if you have any doubt about it now, good. That just means you're right with the rest of us. God hasn't returned and set everything right yet, but we hope towards what he is going to do. That is, so God's truth is received, and then God's truth is expressed. And the way it gets expressed is what we've received shows up in faith, in love, and in hope. That's what he says in verse 3 to 8. And in verse 9 through 14, Paul just prays that they would continue growing in this. There's nothing else to be filled in. There's nothing else to know. There's no other thing to be strengthened in but in this gospel. This way that Jesus comes to speak over us his truth. There's nothing else. There's nothing greater. Be filled with it, he says, so that you can do the will of God in everyday life. And be strengthened by it. But it's amazing. He says strengthened with all power. But it's not just all power to like do miracles or something, although that could happen. It's all power for endurance and patience with joy. Why? Because that hope thing is really hard. To keep hoping in the face of difficulty requires patience and requires endurance. And to not lose our joy. Man, that's a hard one. So Paul prays. I pray you'll only continue to grow in the gospel the reality of Christ in your life and over your world because that is your assurance. That is what you need. And this is what he gets into. He gets starts getting, as Paul often does in his New Testament letters, he gets really excited and he starts writing really long sentences and says a lot of stuff in a short space. So that's what he does. As soon as he starts mentioning this, he's like, one of the things we grow in, in uh, he says in verse 12, is after endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. We start to become people who give thanks to the Father. And then he starts getting really excited. So he says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you, qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in light, delivered you from the domain of darkness, and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 15 to 20, he gets into this is who Jesus is. But the first thing to see there is This is a great summary statement of the content of the gospel. The gospel is God's truth received. It is God's truth starting to work itself out in our life. It gets expressed. And here's the content of why it's such good news. Did you notice that we don't have to do anything for it? Give thanks to the Father. Why? He has qualified you. There's no greater qualification. You can't pad your resume enough to get in with God. There is no greater qualification. He qualified you. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. All that is broken and corrupted in your life, delivered. It's done. The package we have received is that Jesus gets to have say over those things in our life now. It's delivered. It's done. Full stop. It's not waiting out there. Jesus has done the work we need so that we are delivered from all that afflicts us. doesn't mean we don't experience hardship now. It means that ultimately and fully and completely, there's nothing we can deliver ourselves from to the fullest extent that Jesus can. And so we put our faith and our hope and our love there because he's the one who delivered us. He took on the powers of darkness. We find it hard, I find it hard to defeat the powers of darkness that swirl around inside my own emotions. Jesus comes and defeats the powers of darkness that are far greater. Satan, sin, death, everything that is wrong in the world. And then he doesn't just leave us there, delivered on a doorstep, but transfers us into the kingdom so that we have everything that he has. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, the place where there is ultimate love, the beloved son, in whom we have redemption. And so that means we are forgiven. Our sin is wiped away. The brokenness we contribute to the broken world is done for. That is no longer ours to hold, to carry, to be guilty of. But instead, we keep confessing. We say, Lord, I've done these things. And he keeps saying, and I have transferred you. If you ever wanted to be transferred to a better place, a better reality, a better job, a better location, there is none other than the one Jesus has sought to give us transferred us into a new kingdom. This is the essence of the gospel. And then Paul says, Paul's getting it. He suddenly goes into what they call a hymn, essentially. It's this beautiful writing, verse 15 to 20, of who Jesus is. And it describes him as two things, the Lord of creation and the Lord of our redemption. You might wonder, why is this here? And I think it's here. Anybody who's already a Christian, he's writing to people who are already Christians. Anyone who already knows Jesus knows that he's supreme. You already know that he's preeminent, that he is Lord, that he owns everything. And yet Paul seems to feel the need to reiterate it. And I think it's not to try to convince them or maybe even convince us that Jesus is over everything, but it's to say he's supreme, yes, but also he's sufficient. Because if you've ever wondered whether your life is good enough in Christ, whether you need to have better spiritual experiences, whether you need to just just pray harder, right? He's saying, friends, you are in the hands of the one who's the Lord of everything. Do you think you can do better than that? Because here's who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. When Jesus entered the earth, what we talked about last week, as he died on a cross, God dying, the invisible God became visible so that we could see how much he loved us. He died on a cross. And then Easter, we celebrated the resurrection of, the, from him, of him from the dead. And so there's these two phrases. This invisible God became visible. And here's what he is. Verse 15, it says he's the firstborn of all creation. And in verse 18, he's the firstborn from the dead. Two phrases that help us orient in this passage what, is, what Paul's getting at. The firstborn of creation. You think firstborn. I'm the firstborn in my family. I have a younger sister. I was born first. But we're not talking about birth order here. Because it also just says right after that, by him all things were created. So you can't create something and be the creation at the same time. So it's not saying Jesus is somehow like us. He's just a person. Firstborn is a really important, uh, under, it's really important to understand what firstborn means in the ancient world. Because it didn't matter how many kids people did or didn't have The firstborn was the one who received the highest rank. They were the one who was charged with taking care of the family's inheritance. And so when it says he's firstborn of creation, that means Jesus is in charge of all of creation. He's the one who gets to run it. And when it says he's the firstborn from the dead, it means that when he rose from the grave, he's the first one to crush death, to defeat death in an everlasting way and never die again. So he's in charge of death and he's in charge of defeating death. He's the firstborn from the dead. It says he's the beginning. And so this is uh, the foundation of the gospel that we're seeing is it is Jesus. There is no other thing to look to or to have or to get beyond. Can you get beyond the Lord of everything? The gospel message of truth declares to us that Jesus is the root of our faith, the foundation of our love, the place of our hope. Lots of times it says in Christ throughout these passages. It says we are in Christ, we are in him, we are in him, we are in Christ over and over again. It's kind of like a zip code. Jesus is now our zip code. See, I live in West Lafayette, 47906. That is my zip code. And so I live in West Lafayette. I am in West Lafayette. Every circumstantial reality for the most part of my life happens there. All of my thinking, all my feeling, all of my working, many of my relationships, I am in West Lafayette. Well, if you're in Christ, then what we're saying is, man, you're way beyond geography now. You're in a person who owns the universe, That is my location. That is the place where the rootedness of my life actually is. The place where I'm most truly located is God. Now, I still live here, and I'm supposed to live and do God things here and be a part of the life that he's creating here. But also, this isn't my main reality. It is my reality, but it's not my first reality. He's the firstborn. He's the ranking first, right? He, I am in Christ. And so that means that for creation, and here's what it says. Let me show you what it means for him to be Lord of creation. If he's first in rank, he's of the greatest importance in the created universe because he runs it. Here's what it says in verse 16. For by him all things were created. So he's the agent of creation. He made everything. By him, everything that's made is made. And then it says also in verse 16, all things were so by him all things created things in heaven things on earth visible things invisible things rulers powers authorities everything you see all things were created through him and for him so it's also for him which means he's the goal of creation he's not just the agent he didn't just make stuff and then step back he is the goal of everything in creation everything creation points to him and then it says he's the sustainer of all creation in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is anti-entropy. Things, if your life doesn't fall apart, it's because he's holding it together. And he's saying that even in death, he will hold it together. You can't ultimately die if you're in Christ because he's the Lord of life. If the gospel is truth about God... That is we receive when we hear it proclaimed, then the truth is that there is nowhere you can go that isn't his. There is nowhere that you can go to hide from him. There is no enjoyable, created thing that you have that he didn't give. If everything in your life hasn't fallen apart, fallen apart, it's because he's sustaining you. He is the Lord of all of creation. And so he has a special place in God's uh, eyes in all of creation. Look, this means uh, a lot of things, and we can only get into just one, one or two of them very briefly. But Christians put their faith in Christ not because we can't create stuff too. We're made in his image, so we get to create things too. But it's because we can't create, um, we can create amazing things in the world, but we can't create anything better than God. Because God is someone we can't create. He's the one who made everything that is created. You're never going to get beyond this, friends. We're constantly in danger of thinking if we just went and fixed this thing in our life or if everyone just joined the right political party, which is my political party, uh, and people generally did things my way, then peace would happen on earth. But that isn't so because you and I aren't the Lord and we don't have that kind of power. We can never bring that kind of peace. Our way of creation doesn't bring it because it's not mainly about us. Creation's about him. And whenever we don't do things the way he's designed them to be, we're walking away from him and that's where the chaos comes from when we think we can do a better job. But he is the Lord of creation. And so that's the message of the truth that he wants to give. I'm not the one who gets to control all the world. He is. Friends, no matter how far we advance in our world, no matter how far we advance in our technology, we will never advance beyond Jesus. He made all the things that are made. He's going to take care of everything in the created world for all eternity. He loves it. He's the Lord of it. You will never know the purpose of created things apart from him. So you can't know the purpose of work. You won't know the purpose of people or of relationships, of marriage, of parenting, of emotions, or even science apart from Christ because he is the foundational truth that all other truths come from. There is no truth but God's truth. It says that he's the head of the body the church as well. And I think sometimes what's so amazing is I love that that's just thrown in there with all the rest of creation. Because I think sometimes we start to think that Jesus being being Lord means Jesus is Lord of the spiritual things, which he is, the invisible things, but he's also the Lord of the created things. And the church is just one aspect of his creation, but it is the place where his lordship on earth is supposed to be most clear to everyone and everything. Us. Those who have received the message and those who express it in our zip code, that we're kind of a part of another zip code, even though we're here. His, right? So, the thing about this is the gospel is for everything. It's one thing, but it's for everything. And that means that it's not just about spiritual things, it's not just about salvation things, it's not just about church things, it's about every created thing. Jesus is Lord of all of it, and you will never find the purpose or the right way to do those things apart from Him. Everything points back to him, from relationships, to science, to business, to ethics. All of it is his. If it's in creation and it's good, he made it. But the thing is, we've mentioned that it's broken and that he redeems us, so we have to see that he's also the Lord of redemption. It says he's the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning, verse 18. Have you ever wanted a new beginning, a do-over, a restart, to go back in time so you could fix that thing that went wrong and set something off in your life the trajectory of your life seems like it's dictated by these few things? He is the new beginning. That's what this is saying. The guy who can come back from a grave, it's hard to beat that. He is the new beginning. If you're looking for new life, if you're looking for healing and redemption, it's it's Him. There is no other new beginning. There is no better place to get it. There is no self-help book you could read enough to make it happen. It's something you have to simply receive because it's the gospel and He gives it. It's not something that I can go and find. The message of truth God wants us to have is that we need a new beginning and that He alone conquered death and made peace, in verse 20, by the blood of His cross, so that we could have real peace, not peace we keep trying to create in the world, but peace based on what he created in redemption. Verse 18 says this, what is the goal of all this? What is the goal of him being the Lord of everything? Why does it matter? It says in verse 18 that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme. That, you could translate it supreme. Preeminent or supreme, what does that mean? It means to hold the highest rank of any group. If you're preeminent or supreme, it means you have first place. A, a very real way we could translate that verse is, uh, verse 18 is to say, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have first place. In everything. Does he have first place in everything in your life? The thing that this is telling us, because this is a message to receive, is not like, you should let him. It's saying, no, he is. It's already happened. It's already true. Will you acknowledge and receive the truth of what is already there? It's not, well, I'll let Jesus have control. No, he has control. You want him to have control. You want him to be in charge of creation. You want him to be in charge of redemption because he's the God who made it and he's good. Will you receive that? And what we're going to look at over the next coming weeks is, doesn't that change our lives? (laughs) Doesn't that change how we operate? Doesn't that change how we think and feel and behave in the world to know that there's somebody else, that this is really first place? It's what he's about, not what I'm first about. Isn't this why everyone wants to be around winners, right? You want to be around the people to get in first place. Because when they win, you feel like you've won. Yeah, he did. He is our first place now. That's what this is saying. The gospel truth is that in everything, every created reality of life, every spiritual brokenness in your soul, Jesus has first place. It's not that we have to let him have first place. He simply already does. Will you receive it? Here's the thing. If there is one named Jesus who is in first place and he has secured everything about your life, everything in creation, everything you need in redemption, the promise of restoration to come, if he has secured all of that, then you reap the benefits too. I was thinking about this this week when I heard that SpaceX wants to put 4,000 satellites into space over the next couple years. 4,000 more satellites to bring the internet to unreached peoples. I don't I don't know how to say it any other way. People who don't have the internet, people who don't have good internet access, they want to put four thousand satellites up there. And it started to dawn on me as I was thinking about, wow, that's just amazing. That's a lot of satellites floating around up there around the Earth. And I thought, how much of your and my life is connected to outer space every day? I would have said very little, but we really started thinking about it. How about the sun, by which we gain most of our life? How about the air? But then how about even satellites by which this, which we use constantly and all the time now, I am constantly connected to outer space. I am constantly connected to what to me seems like an invisible reality, but it makes, it does visible work in my life, not just in my phone, but in so many things, right? Stuff in outer space does visible work in my life every single day. I don't always acknowledge that outer space is there, but it is. And in the same way, this is the gospel that we receive. Jesus is always there, Lord of everything, and every good work that happens in the world is his. Every good redemptive thing that happens in your life is his. Every longing for restoration comes from him, and he is there. And even when we don't acknowledge him, guess what? He's still the Lord, and he's constantly inviting us by grace to receive again. I'm really there, and I'm really the Lord. I secure everything that you need. What more could you have? You will never graduate from the gospel. You will never get beyond it. It is the thing that we need day by day by day. He is preeminent. He is in first place. He is the foundation of truth and therefore reality. He is the foundation of creation. He is the one who overcomes sin through redemption He is the one who promises that as a result of redemption, there will be restoration, that all created things will be restored to glory, his glory. And that means that if he's Lord of everything, there's nothing he can't handle. There's nothing in the universe that will fill us up more, free our hearts, make us better, assure our lives that we are safe and secure than the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is Lord. So let's pray, and then we're gonna take communion together to remember what he's done for us. Father, we thank you that you have qualified us, that you have, uh, that you have overcome and delivered us from darkness, that you have transferred us into your kingdom. You are the hope that we need, so we seek again this morning to put our faith in you to bring all of our questions and our realities back to you because they are first yours anyway. Lord, we pray, be our first place. You are in first place. So as we remember you, Lord, would you help us again to receive this truth of the gospel. Help us to be those who pray for gospel growth so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the one who is Lord of everything, pleasing you in every area of life because every area of life is yours. We pray that you would help us to remember every day what it is that you have done for us, that we were alienated from you, but you reconciled us to yourself, and that we would remain in the hope of the gospel that we've heard. Because if you are Lord, and you are, you are in first place of everything. There is no more stability that we can have, in our circumstances than than to have you first place. There is no more thing that is going to help us remain steadfast in the difficulties than to know that you have assured us there's nothing more we need than you. We do long for our lives to be restored. We pray in the meantime, give us patience as we wait and hope because we know the one who's Lord in everything.